Hello, and welcome to the Word Experience Podcast, where the Word of God is experienced in a fresh new way. Prepare yourself to hear God's Word talk with simplicity and understanding. And now, here's your host, Cliff Goldberg. What's going on, good people? What's going on? Welcome once again to the Word Experience Podcast, where we experience the Word in a fresh new way. I am your host, Cliff Goldberg. Got a great show for you today, man. It's, 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 it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of fun. But before we get started with the show, let's get started with some prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for all you continue to do in our lives and through our lives and to the lives of other people. We thank you for this word, God, that changes our lives from the inside out, little by little, step by step. We declare during this time now, God, that no weapon formed against this time shall prosper. We declare that the full, complete will of God will be done in the lives of those who are listening to this podcast right now. No hurt, harm, or danger will happen to them. We declare that the full and complete will of God will be established during this time. Let your will be done now, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. Everybody good? You guys good? Oh, man, I got a good one for you today. I got a good one. So um, back in the 60s and 70s, uh, you'd hear a song on the radio, and it's a hit song. You like the song, right? You run to your local record store to buy the song, right? And you'd buy them on what they call 45s, right? 45 records. 45 meant 45 RPMs, 45 revolutions per minute. That's how fast the record would spin. A little nerd thing for you, right? So you go get the record, and on the front side of the record would be the hit song that you wanted to buy. It was like 99 cents, like a dollar. Pretty much how they do it with iTunes now, right? But it was actual record. On the back side was another song that you weren't necessarily buying. Many times that back song, the song on the back side, you had never even heard it before because it got no radio play, right? The album hadn't come out yet. My old school folks, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? The album hadn't come out yet. And so you bought the hit song and then there was an extra song that came with it, right? Now in the music industry, the, the hit song was called the A side. The back song on the back side of the record was called the B side. Right, so you had the A side, which was the hit song, and then you had the B side, which was, you know, eh, it was all right. And actually, there were some songs that were pretty good on the B side. Didn't get a lot of radio play, but they were pretty good songs, right? But you paid more attention to the A side song, the hit song, right? So you might ask, well, what does that got to do with scripture? Well, I'm glad you asked. There are, you know dozens of scriptures that exist in the Bible that many people are familiar with, like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? A lot of people know that one. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? Or or that shortest <laughs> scripture in the Bible that everybody quotes when they don't know any other scripture, right? Jesus wept, right? <laughs> Jesus wept, right? And, and so I call those scriptures the A-side scriptures. They're scriptures that a whole lot of people know. Many Christians know some of these scriptures, right? But then there are other scriptures, whether it's a scripture verse before the A-side scripture or a scripture verse after the A-side scripture that not many people know about, right? I call those scripture verses the B-side scriptures. So the title for today's podcast is called, you guessed it, the A-side and the B-side. 
So what we're going to do is look at about five different scriptures that are very, very popular, A-side. And then we're going to look at verses either before or after those popular scriptures, the B-side, and see if we can gain a greater context to what the writer was writing about. Because sometimes we pull these A-side scriptures out and we quote them, and standing by themselves, they could go into interpretations that the writer didn't mean. Right? But when we put that A-side scripture connected with the B-side scripture, we get a context that's much broader, much wider, much more accurate to what the writer intended. And more specifically, to what God intended, because the Word of God is God-breathed or God-inspired. All right. So we're going to look at five A-side scriptures, and then we're going to look at some B-side scriptures connected to those A-side scriptures, and then we're going to see what the Lord shall do with that. All right. All right. So let's start with a really, really popular scripture, John 3.16. John 3.16 is our first A-side scripture. Now, this scripture was so popular that back in the 80s and a little into the 90s, if you watch the NFL football game, somebody would usually be standing with a huge sign behind the uh, goalpost, and it would be a big sign, big poster, John 3.16. Right. Uh, it got so popular that one of the uh, wrestlers from the 2000s and the 90s, um, he had T-shirts with his name. Three, uh, instead of John, he had his name, 316. Right. Um, very, very popular scripture. So John 316 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Right. So that's pretty cool. Right, and this first A side scripture kind of stands on its own. I mean, that's pretty self-explanatory. God loved the world; He gave, and oftentimes, when we talk about the love of God, it's demonstrated in this scripture. And I believe there's another scripture in Romans chapter five, where uh, uh, Paul says God proved His love for mankind when He gave Jesus His Son. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And here's another example. God loved, so he gave. So God's example of love is giving, right? You say you love somebody, then your heart is to give to them in some kind of way, right? Because that is the model of godly love, right? So God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth, I almost slipped into to the King, King James, whosoever believeth on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We used to sing a song that had that uh, verse in it uh, back in the day when I sang with my gospel group, right? So very popular. But most people don't know John 3.17. And when you combine John 3.16 with John 3.17, again, you get a fuller picture, a, a, a more definitive picture of the love that God has for mankind. So let's look at John 3.17, the B-side. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, why did I pick this scripture? Because a lot of people believe that God is trying to punish folk. God is mad at people. God is going to punish you for what you did. And God is mad at you because of you didn't do this or you didn't go to church enough or you're not praying enough. And, and they look at God as a punisher, right? 
you did wrong. See, now you ain't saved. You ain't really a Christian, right? Condemnation. But condemnation is not a part of God's character. And so John, in, in, in the second part, in the B side, specifically says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That was not God's purpose when he wrapped himself in flesh and came to earth in the form of Jesus. He did not send his son to condemn the world. He did not send his son to condemn the world. We'll make it personal. God did not send Jesus to condemn you. I don't care what any preacher has told you. God did not bring Jesus into the world to condemn you. God did not bring Jesus into the world to condemn you. He's, he, he sent him to the world. He sent him here so that through him, the world might be saved from sinful nature. Right? I believe it's Romans 8 and 1. The Apostle Paul says, For there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? So Jesus now is the way of escape from condemnation. So why would God send an escape from condemnation, but at the same time send him to condemn you? That's not how it works. All right. God sent Jesus so that through Jesus we could avoid condemnation. So the B side says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The Amplified Translation says, For God did not send the Son into the world in order to judge, to reject, to condemn, to pass sentence on the world, but that the world might find salvation and be made safe and sound through Him. God did not send the Son into the world to judge, to reject, to condemn, to pass sentence on the world. At one point, uh, Jesus says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's not condemnation. That's a way out of condemnation. That's not judgment. That's a way out of judgment. That's not rejection. That's acceptance. Come unto me. Come unto me. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm trying to save you. Now, a lifestyle that's not in line with the will of God or a lifestyle by somebody who has not made Jesus the Lord of their life, when you hear the gospel, right, or you go to church and you hear good preaching, it may convict you. What are you saying? It might make you feel bad about where you are. It might make you feel bad about what you've done, right? But it's not sent to condemn you, to make you feel like you have no value. See, a building that's condemned, they say it has no more value. They want to tear it down. God is not trying to tear you down. He's trying to build you up and give you a way of escape from that old life into a new life, which has intimate fellowship with him through Jesus Christ. 
So never, ever, ever believe for one second that God is mad at you. God is trying to punish you. God's going to get you. I heard a man of God say, if God was going to get you, you'd already be God. <laughs> I know it's bad English, but it's good preaching. <laughs> okay? God is not trying to get you. He's not trying to punish you. Right? He's trying to bring you into fellowship with him. And he uses Jesus as the bridge, as the sacrifice, as the ransom, complex Bible word, propitiation between God and man. So, yes, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the through him the world might be saved. So that's the A side and the B side of what I call the love of God. Right? See that? It's a little more complete now when you combine the B side with the A side. Right? So you see where we're going today? Nice, right? I see you nodding your head. I see you. All right, here's another one, boy. This one, shoo-wee. This thing has been used, misused, and abused. <laughs> Let's go to Romans chapter 3, verse 33. This is our next A-side scripture. Man, alive. I've heard people use this scripture to justify all kind of stuff. Just as wrong as two left shoes. Right? <laughs> but God bless them, man. They, they... At least they're trying to say some stuff from the Bible. So, you know, I've, I've learned to be more gracious as I've matured in this thing, right? Which kind of leads us to this scripture, Romans 3 and 23. He says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Ooh-wee! Boy, you, you know, somebody get caught smoking weed. Or, well, you know, you can't say nothing. You can't judge me. The Bible say all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's so not what he's talking about. But if all you know is the A side, you lose the context. So let's look at the B side, which is Romans 3 and 24. Right? So Romans 3.24 says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All right, so let's put the two together. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to read this out of the Amplified Translation because once you, once you hear it from the Amplified, I believe that revelation, the full revelation is going to blow up. You're like, oh, I see now. Right? So here we go. We're going to read A side and B side together. Romans 3, 23 and 24 in the Amplified Translation. It says, since all have sinned and are falling short of the honor and glory which God bestows and receives. All are justified and made upright and in right standing with God freely and gratuitously by his grace, his unmerited favor and mercy through the redemption which is provided in Christ Jesus. So what is he saying here? Essentially, Paul is saying because all have sinned, then all can be justified. Or all are justified through Jesus Christ, through the grace 
the favor that God brings through Jesus Christ. So it's not a justification for your sin. It's an understanding that all of us were in one category, and because of Jesus, all of us can be in another category. All right. So when he talks about the sin category, and I don't, you know, we'll we'll, we'll dip our toe into this. The uh, help me, Lord. Heaven sees mankind as a sinner, not necessarily because of what you've done, but because of what Adam did. I believe in Romans three, twenty, and I think Romans five twenty. Paul says, "By one man's disobedience." All have sinned, right? One man's disobedience. What is he talking about? He's talking about Adam's disobedience in the Garden of Eden when he ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, and and at, at another place, Paul writes that all of us were in Adam. And so since all of us were in Adam, all of us fall into the category of sin. Which is what he's saying here, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God since all of us were in Adam. Right? So, so heaven sees us in this category of sinner because we were all in Adam and when Adam sinned, we all sinned. So all have sinned. Right? But because, what do you say, one man's disobedience uh, all uh, are sinners by another man's obedience all can be made righteous that other man is Jesus so Adam's disobedience made us sinners Jesus's obedience gives us the potential to be made righteous right and that word justified is defined as declared righteous or in right standing with God. So Adam's disobedience, well, let's lose Adam's actions broke mankind off from fellowship with God. Jesus' action, death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, gave the potential to reconnect us back to God. Mankind could get reconnected to God because of Jesus' obedience. We got disconnected from God because of Adam's disobedience, and we can be reconnected to God because of Jesus' obedience. Now, why am I putting conditions on it? Because you have to have faith in what Jesus did in order to be reconnected through God, reconnected to God, right? It's faith in what Jesus did. It's faith in the finished works of Jesus. When Jesus was on the cross and he hung there and he said those words, it is finished. And what was finished was the sacrifice for the sins of mankind had been paid for. Jesus' work was finished. He was the lamb that was slain, it says in Revelation, before the foundation of the world. Okay? Now, here's a fun fact. I just heard a, a, a Jewish scholar was sharing this on television the other day, that in the during the time during the law of Moses, when the priest would sacrifice the lamb, right, cut the lamb, put the blood on the on the on the ark, on the uh, ark, and did all of that, he would he would stretch out his hands, he would reach up to heaven and say, "It is finished." When the lamb was slain, my God, 
So when Jesus was on the cross with his arms stretched out, once he knew the work was finished, he said, it is finished, just like the priest said, it is finished in the Old Testament. Boy, I almost ran in my little one-bedroom apartment. Okay, so when it was finished, the ability for man to be reconnected to God because of the sacrifice of Jesus, now we're good to go, right? So when we when we speak in faith and we declare, I think in Romans 10, he says, if you, if you confess the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you shall be saved, right? So when we have faith, when we put our faith in what Jesus did on the cross and then say, Lord, come into my life, be my Lord, be my Savior, now we get to take advantage of the justification. We're declared now righteous, right? And that word righteous doesn't mean now we do everything right. It means we are in right standing with God. <coughs> Excuse me, fam. We're in right standing with God, right? Meaning now we have the right to be healed. We have the right to prosper. We have the right to have our prayers answered. We have the right to have conversation with God. We are in right standing with God. As my pastor would say, right standing with almighty God. <laughs> All right. So we put those two together. All have sinned. Therefore, all can be made righteous. Right. All have sinned. So all can be made righteous. It's not all of sin, so you can't judge me. You sin just like I sin. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about all of mankind is in, had fallen into one category because of Adam, and now they can be put in another category. Right? Adam's category is sinner. Jesus' category is justified or righteous. Right? Uh, there's a, a scripture that Paul writes where he says, uh, that he who was rich was made poor so that we who were poor could be made rich, right? And then in another place it says that uh, uh, he who knew no sin, Jesus, was made sin for us, mankind, so that we, mankind, could be made the righteousness of God. All right. We can't do anything to be righteous other than receive Jesus as Savior. And then we're made righteous. There was an exchange that happened on the cross. Jesus exchanged his righteousness for our sin. He took on our sin. And when we confess faith in him as, as Lord and Savior, we put on his righteousness. So from God's perspective, he sees us through the righteousness of Jesus. We're wearing a coat of righteousness and Jesus put on a coat of sin on the cross because he knew no sin. He didn't do any sin, right? So the exchange happened. So we went from sinner to righteous or we go from sinner to righteous when we confess our faith in Jesus Christ. Boy, I'm so looking forward to seeing Jesus. And just, man, thank you. Thank you, big bro, for what you did for me. I can't speak for anybody else, but what you did for me. 
You know, I I I I go I go in pain if somebody sticks a pin in my finger, let alone a nail in my hand or in my wrist. I hadn't even I hadn't even been the thought of a thought of a thought of a thought when he was on that cross. But the scripture says in Hebrew in Hebrews the joy he was able to endure the cross because of the joy that was set before him, which was us coming to God and being reconnected to God through his sacrifice. All right. So that's the A side and the B side of all have sinned. So 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 please, 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 fam, no longer go forward justifying what you do wrong by saying, well, you know, the Bible says all have sinned. Not what he's talking about. He's listing those two categories. So by faith in Jesus, we go from sin category to righteousness category. All right. All right. So that's a side, B side, number two. Didn't mean to spend that much time on that, but there you go. <laughs> All right. Third, A side. Now, some people know this one. Some people may not. It's a relatively uh, well-known scripture. You've been in church for a long time, grew up in church like I did, heard this one thousands of times, right? So this A side and B side are going to address God's mysteries revealed. God's mysteries revealed. All right, so the A side of this is going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. All right, this is the A side. So the A side says, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Right? And you hear people talk about eyes not seen and ears not heard, nor has it entered into your heart the thing that God has prepared for you. And that's not quite the fullness of it. So let's look at the B side, 1 Corinthians 2 and 10. 1 Corinthians 2 and 10 says, But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. All right, so if you take the A side by itself, 1 Corinthians 2 and 9, it sounds like God has, has something for you that your eye hasn't seen and your ear hasn't heard and it hasn't even entered into your heart, the thing that God has prepared for you. But the fullness of it is God has revealed them to us through his spirit. So here's the fullness in my, in my estimation. <clears throat> Excuse me, fam. So, so, so here's what it is. There are things, visions, dreams, ideas, inventions that by the Spirit of God, God has shown you. Right? We're going to go kind of go in reverse from verse 10 to verse 9. God has revealed to us, those who are believers, ideas, plans, strategies, inventions, visions, right? And those ideas and plans and strategies and inventions and visions, no eye has seen it. No ear has heard it. It hasn't even entered into the heart of man. The things that God has prepared for us. But those things have been revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. He's revealed the things to us that he's prepared for us but if you were to go and tell somebody what you believe God has shown you that's prepared for you, 
people will look at you like you're crazy because nobody's seen that before. They'll look at you like you're crazy because nobody's heard that before. It hasn't even entered in somebody's heart what you're talking about. Right? I remember for years, Bill Gates, uh, CEO of Microsoft, every year he'd get up in front of the people and he'd give a talk. And he said, I could see one day that everybody in the world will have their own personal computer and it will sit on their desktop and they'll be able to do their, you know, do work on their own computer. And people looked at him like he was crazy. Man, nobody has seen that before. Do you know how big computers are? Computers in those days were in giant machines. And you're talking about having a computer on somebody's desk? No, we've never seen that before. Never even heard of it. Hasn't even entered into our hearts. Now, I'm not saying that Bill Gates is a believer. I'm just saying that that's a model for how God will show us stuff that nobody's seen before, nobody's heard of before, hasn't even entered into the heart of man. Right? Now we got laptops. <laughs> now we got computers on phones. You know, the computers are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. We got iPads now. You know, uh, um, the, the head guy at Apple used to do the same thing. Right? He'd stand up before the people and, and talk about the new thing that's coming. Nobody knew what an iPod was. Nobody knew what a laptop was. Nobody knew what an iPad was. Right? Nobody knew what an iPhone was. It, it, it never entered into the hearts of man, but, but he was able to see it, right? So there are things that God has prepared for his people that he's shown you. And I'm not talking about heaven. I'm talking about things on the earth, ideas, right? Resources that God has prepared. This podcast, he showed me this podcast. I didn't see myself doing a podcast. Now, this is not a out-of-the-box idea because people have been doing podcasts for years before I started this one. But for me to do a podcast on teaching the Word of God, I, I you know, that was new for me, <laughs> you know. And there are other things that God has shown me that He's prepared for me that, you know, if I were to tell people, they'd be like, Cliff, I don't, I don't see how that would work. But I do, Right? I don't, I don't see how that would, how, I ain't never heard of nothing like that before. I have. Because God has revealed it to me through his spirit. Because the spirit searches all things and searches the deep things of God. So he's not talking about things prepared for you that your eye hasn't seen and your ear hasn't heard and it hasn't entered into your heart. No, he's shown you those things. It's just other people's eyes and other people's ears and other people's hearts. They don't know anything about that. So, so, so what God has shown you that he's prepared for you, man, walk that thing out because the world needs it. Just like we needed desktop computers and just like we needed laptops. I don't know if we really needed iPhones, but <laughs> I guess we did, right? Just like we needed CDs once upon a time. And all of the different things that we have technologically that are at our disposal now that are being used in a lot of different ways who knew we would need zoom <laughs> i'm recording this while we're still dealing with the world pandemic right and all kinds of things are happening via zoom who knew we would need zoom 
but it had been shown to somebody and they were able to make that thing work. And I'm sure whoever put this, whoever created it or invented it or the team or whomever, when they talked about it, people were like, what? Do what? Nah, we don't need that. We can just go to the meeting. Why should we have a video? Blah, 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 blah. Right? I'm, I'm a huge fan of Marvel movies. And, and what Marvel did uh, was like a team of four or five people. And the vision that they had to create not only these individual superhero movies, but eventually connect those movies together with the Avengers and then it create what they call the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Nobody had heard of that before. But now that it's been so successful over the past 10 years, now everybody's trying to create a cinematic universe, right? And don't, don't be intimidated by people's ignorance. And by, by ignorance, I mean they've never heard of what you're talking about before. So don't be intimidated by that. Walk that thing out. Walk that thing out and show the world what God showed you. Because when it becomes successful, now they'll see it. Oh, I see what you're talking about now. Right? And that's what you hear a lot of. I, I, I speak to inventors and I speak to visionaries who God has given you vision and things that nobody has seen. And I just declare in the name of Jesus, walk that thing out. I, I speak courage to your hearts right now to walk that thing out because we have need of it. If we didn't have need of it, God wouldn't have given it to you. So don't wait for somebody from the outside world who doesn't have a relationship with God to bring things to pass that God wanted you to bring to pass. Then you'd be frustrated. frustrated. Man, I was, oh man, God showed me that three years ago. Why didn't you walk it out? Oh, I just, I, I don't know. You're scared. That's all. And I'm not criticizing you. I've had those moments. I'm just saying, come on, man. Let's be courageous. Let's walk that thing out. All right? So that's God's mysteries revealed to us by his spirit. And those mysteries that he's revealed to us are so amazing. Nobody's seen it before. Nobody's heard it before. It hasn't even entered into folks' heart what that thing is. All right? All right. All right. Let's look at the next A side and B side. This is the promise of God's provision. Now, this is a tricky one, and I'm trusting God to help me walk this thing out because I don't, I don't want anybody to feel condemned or criticized because of the context that we're about to get into. But this is the promise of God's provision, and the A side is found on Philippians in Philippians 4, verse 19. Philippians 4, 19. Again, popular scripture especially when it comes to God's provision. So Philippians 4.19 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Right? And you hear this all the time. God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. Okay. That's the A side. Let's look at the B side, which now we're going to go before verse 19, and we're going to look at verses 15 through 17. Philippians 4, 15 through 17 is the B side, all right? Now, Paul is writing specifically to the church at Philippi, all right? He established a church in Philippi. Philippi, uh, the scholars say, was a, a quite prosperous town. I believe it was right on the water. A lot of industry and business was going on in Philippi, right? So Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, all right? So Philippians 4, verses 15 through 17 says, Now ye Philippians know also 
that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. And then he jumps to verse 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Why? Because you communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving. And you sent once and again to my necessity. So what's Paul saying here? Because you gave to me when I was in Macedonia, I declare that God's going to supply your needs because you supply my needs. Now, I want to look at verses 15 and 16 and 19 in the passage in the Passion Translation. He says, For I want you to know that the Philippian church was the only church that supported me in the beginning as I went out to preach the gospel. You were the only church that sold into me financially. And when I was in Thessalonica, you supported me for well over a year. And in verse 19, he says, I am convinced that my God will fully satisfy every need you have. All right. So that verse in verse 19 was connected to the verses before in 15, basically through 18. And Paul is saying, because you took care of my needs, I'm declaring that God is going to take care of your needs. Right. So what are you saying, Cliff? I'm saying that when we take care of God's house, we can expect God to take care of our house. But if we're not taking care of God's house, Philippians 4, 15 through 17, it's a challenge to expect God to take care of your house, Philippians 4, 19. So to say God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, but you haven't taken care of his house, his ministries, and man, the ability to give to ministries now is so easy. You can text it, you can cash app it, you can Venmo it, you can email it, you can send it in a check, all kinds of ways to support the various ministries that are feeding us and supplying us, right? Because contrary to popular belief outside the body of Christ or some inside the body of Christ, ministries need money to operate. Ministries need money to operate. Even now with churches closed, they still got to pay mortgages. They've still got to pay uh, electric bills for some who's still in the offices, right? They've still got to take care of certain responsibilities and obligations for the church. So just because the, there's nobody in the building, that doesn't mean there's not a need for financial resources. So give to those who have been giving to you. Give to those who've been preaching online. Give to those who've been on Zoom every day. Give to those who are on Facebook, making sure that the people of God are fed. Give to them, take care of them, send resources to them, and you can expect God to take care of you, right? That's the connection. It's not just, I'm a Christian, and so God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. No, we're in, we're in connection with ministry. And because we're in connection financially with ministry, we can anticipate God taking care of us. 
Now, that does not mean, and I've heard this happen before, people who are regular tithers and givers, they make a demand on the church. I'm a tither, so y'all need to do such and such and such and such. That's not the heart of God, man. I'm a tither. I need to, you better take care of me. I'm a giver at this church. I don't nobody give more than me. That's not the heart of God. You don't necessarily want to expect from a church. You want to expect from the head of the church that God will supply your needs according to his riches, not according to the church's riches, but according to his riches in glory. Will your needs be supplied? All right. Because you have exchanged, you working in partnership with the various ministries around the world. I have about three or four different ministries I listen to on a regular basis, either on YouTube or on their websites or on Facebook. Right. And, and I've made a commitment to kind of up my giving this year because these men and women of God have been blessing me with the words that they're giving and they've been feeding me. I mean, I got stuff I can listen to all day if I want to. You know, when I work out in the morning, I'm listening to the word. If I'm on Sundays, I'm listening to the word. I can pull up YouTube. I did this today, a video from two years ago because I just felt like, you know, it's cool. These men and women of God are just kind of, you know, in their buildings preaching by themselves, you know, with a camera person. But every now and then I just, I just feel the need to, to see a man or woman of God in a church with a with an audience and what that feels like and that whole vibe, right? I just I just missed it today. So I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna go back a couple years and 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 watch the man of God with a with a congregation. And it was quite enjoyable, right? So so these men and women of God are are giving and they're feeding us in the middle of this pandemic. And even when we come out of it. Right. And we go back to the building. Some are already back in their buildings. But when we go back in, in the fullness, man, let's 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 bring offerings and let's bring our tithe in a manner that just blows the doors financially off of those churches. And they can do so much more where ministry is concerned. Now, I'm going to say this straight and plain. If you don't trust your man or woman of God to deal with the finances properly, then you should be at another church. You don't want to hold back your money because you don't. Tr if you don't trust them, you need to be at another church where you can trust your man, oh God. I believe it's in Second Chronicles, right before they go to battle. The king says, uh, "Trust in your prophets, so shall ye prosper." All right. If you don't trust your man of God with finances, maybe you're at the wrong church. And maybe you should pray that God sends you to a place where you feel like you can trust the ministry with your finances. You know, that's no excuse not to give. You just might be in the wrong place. All right. Or pray that the wisdom of God overtakes that man or woman of God, that they deal with the finances properly. Or maybe you should be on the trustee board and be a part of making sure that the finances are distributed properly. There's a way to do it, man, where the love of God is the thing that leads us, right? And the heart of God is the thing that propels us to do this thing the right way, all right? We don't want to be churchy. We don't want to be messy. We don't want to have hard hearts towards ministries that are actually endeavoring to do the will of God and do the work of God where ministry is concerned, whether it's feeding people or clothing people or paying that light bill for that big church when they didn't need to have that big old church. Hey, man, 
somebody needed to come into that big old church and get born again. And it was that big old beautiful church that drew them into the building in the first place. All right. So let's 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 <laughs> let's take all that haterade and dump it outside, man. Stop drinking the haterade. And let's be a part of the solution. And when we give into ministries, we can expect God to give to us. That's what the A side and the B side is where God's provision is concerned. All right. All right. Uh just the last one. Yep, last one. The fullness of healing. All right. This one is is quoted a lot. Isaiah 53 verse 5, and we're going to stay at Isaiah 53 and 5, but we're going to look at it in two parts, all right? So the A side of Isaiah 53 and 5 says, and by his stripes we were healed. That's the, that's the A side. Everybody know that one. By his stripes I am healed. And, you know, you hear ministers talk about when you get sick, you know, quote the word of God, declare the word of God by the stripes, by his stripes, I'm healed. Here's the challenge. A lot of people don't know what the stripes are. So, so it's hard to have faith in a scripture that you really don't understand. Right. And so we want to look at, well, what are the stripes? Well, first of all, the stripes are the result of the whipping that Jesus took before they crucified him, right? Uh, he was whipped with what, with what the old folks would call a cat of nine tails. And it, it was nine strips of leather. And at the end of each of those strips were rocks, glass, right? That was wrapped around at the end. And so when they would whip you, that that those all of those strands would wrap around your body and then they'd pull it. And when they pulled it back, strips of flesh would come off of the person they were whipping. Now, they, 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 the punishment that was declared oftentimes during this time was four score stripes minus one. Four score stripes minus one. Now, a score is 20. Uh, is it four score? No, uh, two score. It was 40 stripes minus one. <laughs> and I teach math for a living. <laughs> I think a score was 20 years. So it was it was 40 stripes minus one, 39 stripes. Okay. So when Jesus was whipped, he was whipped and the strips, the strips that of skin that came off of his body created stripes on his back. And on his side. And it was those stripes, those strips of flesh that were pulled off that purchased our healing. Right? Now, it's interesting. I heard a, a Jewish scholar say once that every disease known to man, every disease known to man falls into one of 39 categories. Every disease known to man falls into one of 39 categories. So when Jesus was whipped 39 times, each of those stripes represented a category of disease. And the stripes paid for every disease. Is that amazing or what? 39 stripes, 39 categories, every disease paid in full by the stripes of Jesus. So when we say by his stripes, 
It's the stripes that were on his back caused by him being whipped 39 times. And by those stripes, we are healed. Now, Isaiah spoke of this uh, centuries before Jesus was even whipped. But it was a prophecy that went forth that God revealed to him. Right? Now, that's the A side. By his stripes, we're healed. The B side is the first part of Isaiah 53 and 5. It says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and then we finish, and by his stripes we are healed. Right? So the fullness, when we take the A side and the B side, what Jesus did on the cross went beyond just our healing. He was wounded for our transgressions. So our transgressions were taken care of on the cross. He was bruised for our iniquities. So iniquities, uh, which is basically generational sin tendencies, was taken care of on the cross. He was chastised for our peace. So our peace was paid for by his chastisement, his punishment. So his bruises took care of, well, let me go, his wounds, you know, before they put him on the cross, they beat him. Some say they pulled his beard off, right? One guy hit him, they had him blindfolded, and a guy hit him and said, now prophesy, who hit you, right? So his wounds, his beatings, when they put that crown of thorns on his head, those wounds paid for our transgressions that we hadn't even done yet. When we violated the sin contract, his wounds paid for that. His bruises paid for our generational sin tendencies, right? Great-grandmama was an alcoholic. Granddaddy was an alcoholic. My mama was an alcoholic, right? If you go back 12 generations, you see generations of alcoholics, right? Now, in our society, we call them generational curses. It's generational sin tendencies, but they were paid for by his bruises. Our peace was paid for by his chastisement, by his punishment on the cross. So transgressions taken care of, iniquities handled, peace paid for, and healing by his stripes. So we got healing by his stripes. We got our transgressions taken care of. Our iniquities were wiped out and our peace was paid for because of what he did on the cross. See the fullness of it now? It's not just by his stripes I'm healed. That's cool. But by his wounds, my transgressions are taken care of. By his bruises, my iniquities were wiped out. I have peace because of his chastisement. And I got healing. That's the package. That's the full package of what Jesus did on that cross. Right? So the A side is cool, but man, the A side and the B side, you go, oh my goodness. Look at what I have. Look at what Jesus did for me on that cross. And it moves us now to worship him even the more. It moves us now to to make corrections in our lifestyles even the more. It moves us to want to get an understanding of this word even more so we can apply it to our lives even more and see our lives change even more. 
Let me read this from the passage translation and we'll get out of here. It says, but it was because of our rebellious deeds that he was pierced. And because of our sins that he was crushed. He endured the punishment that made us completely whole. And in his wounding, we found healing. Wow. Wow. It was because of our rebellious deeds that he was pierced. It was because of our sins that he was crushed. He endured the punishment that made us completely whole. And in his wounding, we found healing. Wow. Now, there's no need for us to apologize. This was God's plan all along. To make Jesus the sacrifice for our sins. So that we could have fellowship, intimate fellowship with him. Jesus is cool. Three days later, he got up from the dead, sitting on the right hand of the Father. Now, he endured the pain and he endured the shame for us. So what, for me, it makes me grateful for what he did. People say, you know, they killed Jesus. Jesus didn't even do anything. He didn't. That's the, that's the awesomeness of the gospel. He who knew no sin was made sin for me so I could be made the righteousness of God. That's some good news. And it makes me praise him. It moves me to be grateful to him. It moves me to just, oh God, want to live life his way, do things the way he wants me to do them, operate in a higher level of obedience because I can because of what Jesus did. I can break bad habits now because of what Jesus did. I can have peace in my life because of what Jesus did. I'm, my sins are not being held against me because of what Jesus did. That's the gospel, fam. That's the good news that's almost too good to be true. But it is. And we would never know it if we didn't know the A side and the B side. How's that for a closing, right? That was sweet, right? That was smooth, right? That's what we call a segue. <laughs> Let me get out of here, man. It's been a pleasure being with you guys today. I pray that this stuff, uh, uh, this insight to the scriptures really brought some illumination and a better context and a better accuracy of understanding. I pray that it moves you to study the word of God even more, to not just pick out a scripture. Look at three or four scriptures before and three or four scriptures after so you can get the fullness. There's all kinds of A-side scriptures in the Bible. I mentioned um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Man, read all of that. Right? Check out all of that stuff and, and, and get a clearer picture of the God that you serve. And, and, and you know, if you're not born again and you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life and you stumbled upon this podcast, just ask him to come into your heart and be your Lord and be your Savior. I believe you were raised from the dead. I've heard about it. Um, and I really, God, I want to have a relationship with you. So, Jesus, come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Show me how to live a godly life and save me from my sins and help me to serve you for the rest of my life. Man, if you pray that prayer, sincerely, not just words, but sincerely from your heart, God's going to take you to places you never even dreamed before. And more than that, you'll have an intimate relationship with him 
that's tailor-made for your life. All right? All right, fam, that's all I got for you today. Thank you for being with me. God bless you. God keep you. Be safe out there. And I'll see you next time on the Word Experience Podcast where we experience the Word in a fresh new way. Love y'all, man. Talk to you later. Peace. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that what you heard will start you on a journey of change and transformation. If you'd like to communicate with Cliff with a question or a comment, you can do so via email at clifftalk 63 at gmail.com. That's clifftalks, the number 63, at gmail.com. And thank you for listening. God bless, and we'll see you next time on The Word Experience.